Come on, church. Give it up for God. No, give it up for God. Come on. I tell you what, it is Sunday. It is, that's right. Man, I don't even need to say it is. It is our fun day. I love Sundays because I love coming and worshiping our awesome God with all of you, church. It is amazing to be here with all of you as we chase this life with Jesus Christ together to see what he has for us and for our community and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, good morning to all of you who are joining us online this morning. Man, we wish you were here, right, church? Come on, we wish they were here. Give it up. We wish they were here, but we are so stoked that we have the technology to reach you with the word of truth no matter where you are this morning. I pray that God's word will impact your life wherever you are at. And uh, we have some guests this morning, man. If you are new with us, welcome, man. Welcome to Vertical Church. Yeah, come on, give it up for our guests. I know, church, I say this every week. And like, Rich says the same thing every Sunday, just about welcome to our guests, blah, 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 blah. Hey, just want to tell you why. Because I believe every Sunday is somebody's first Sunday. Right? It could be their first Sunday coming into church. It could be their first Sunday feeling like they're welcome. It could be their first Sunday where they hear the gospel truth of Jesus Christ. It could be the first Sunday where someone actually showed genuine care for them in their life. So we will celebrate our guests every single Sunday. And if you are new with us, welcome. Man, we, we love that you are here. This may sound really, really strange, but we've been praying for you. We have. We've been praying that you would come in and you experience the love of Jesus Christ personally before you walk out those doors and engage life again. We love that you are here. Gang, before we get into this conversation uh, this morning, I want to just step back because we have this kind of a big day coming up. I'm not sure if you know what it is or not. Does anybody have an idea what I'm going to be talking about? Come on, Easter, let's do it, all right? That's coming up. Let's show me some. We have three services coming up this, on Easter Sunday. If you could show me that slide, that'd be fantastic. We have three Easter services coming up. We have one at 8, 9.30, and 11. Say that with me, 8, 9.30, and 11. And when you leave today, you will see these little cards being handed to you. Do not deny them. Don't slap the greeter's hand. Don't turn and ignore them. Grab, there it is, grab these cards, pray over them, find someone this week and hand out five cards, say, I'd love for you to join us in Easter, I'd love to have, and talk to somebody. Like, listen, I got some, I got some tricks how to hand out cards. I find some places where people put them, where people are like, oh, they're going to run into them. Like, you know, you go to the gas station and you fill up a gas and you have to put your little card in there to pay for it. Well, I put a card in there. I mean, that's a little, little sly, a little tricky. People are like, waste my time, and throw it away. But we actually can do other things like actually engage with people. Imagine that. We can actually talk with people. So get in front of someone, invite them to come, and guess what? When you come back next week, we're going to have more cards for you to hand out. Imagine that. <laughs> All right. Anyways, Easter Sunday, you have the opportunity to invite people who are close to you and near you who need to hear the love of Jesus Christ. We need to experience the love of Jesus in their lives. And why, why does the church get so excited and celebrate so much? Because we know our faith is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus. So we want to just raise the roof with praise that day. And we want as many people to hear the truth as possible. So that takes you, me, us, the church, to invite. Are you with me on that? All right. Well, this morning we're getting back into this series that we kicked off last week titled Awaken. 
igniting a revival starting with you. Now, I just want to share, if you missed last week's conversation, you weren't here with us, I want to encourage you to head to our podcast. You can find it called Sunday Conversations, um, at Vertical Church Sunday Conversations. I encourage you to go back and listen to it because it set the foundation for the rest of this series. You, you can follow along today, but I want you to go back and listen to it throughout the week if you haven't had a chance or you weren't here. Because this idea of awakening or awaken is this, we shared about it last week, is about God sovereignly pouring out his spirit on the multitudes, on our nation, on groups of people impacting and changing a culture. And when God does that, when there's an awakening that's happening, it changes the culture. It changes the course of several generations. It changes the course of several generations with the truth of the gospel. And the multitudes of people are saved by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Soul-saving message. That is an awakening. Eyes are being open to the truth of how much God loves them, and they surrender their lives to him. The revival, on the other hand, the second part of this idea, revival is the church coming back to life. The church waking up, aligning itself to God's purposes, not their own. It's the church preparing themselves to be ready. Like, we expect God to work. We want God to work. But we, as the church, the body of Christ, need to be ready. It's setting aside what we may have maybe have made church to be and surrendering all it back to the one who created it and who gave it its mission in the first place. It's you and I as a church deciding to come back to our first love. Our first love is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and a strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. It's becoming the beacon of light and hope in a world that's full of darkness and hopelessness. Awakening and revival go hand to hand, friends. They go together. As God's pouring out his spirit, he uses his church. We need to be ready. And I share what Greg Laurie said last week. He wrote this article. He says, America needs a spiritual awakening, but the church needs a revival. Could you imagine God's like, hey, I'm going to want to do something here. I want to do something through my church, but they're not ready. In order for a revival to happen, in our community, in our county, in our country, a revival has to happen here first. It has to happen in you, in your life, in your daily walk with Jesus, in your decision. It starts with you. And so today, what we're doing is we're going back and digging into this life story that we started looking at last week. It took place roughly 2,500 years ago. But it's an amazing story how God used one man who was willing to get ready, and he used him to spark a revival amongst his people. So if you have your Bibles, let's get into this morning. Open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1, starting at verse 11. You hopefully have your Bibles with you, your Bible apps, something to read God's Word on it, because guess what? We're at church, and we're going to read God's Word, Okay. So Nehemiah 1, starting at verse 11, if you grab the Bible, the orange Bible in a way, and I think you'll find it on page 329. So this morning, as you're getting there, I'm going to pack this into it, um, we, live, we pick up where we left off. 
Last week we left off, we left Nehemiah. His heart was broken. We just sang a song, break my heart for what breaks yours. His heart was broken by his people, his nation, the holy city of Jerusalem. And he brought himself before the only one who can make the change, only one who can make a difference before God himself. And he honestly confessed his sin and the sin of his nation. And he realized, he said, it it was a wicked act. Sin is a wicked act towards a loving God. And then he poured out and said, God, I have a a God-sized vision. I have a God-sized vision. You're calling me to do something greater than myself. Will you give me success? Because I'm getting ready to go before the king. And I know I need you to step in in order for me to step out and fulfill the purpose you have given me in my heart and for my life. So if your Bible is opened up, Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to read verse 11. It says, The Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. He's going for the king. And he says, I was a cupbearer to the king. So let's just stop there for a second. Let's dig into these last six words of this verse. He says, I was a cupbearer to the king. Now, historically, a cupbearer was a high-ranking official or servant in charge of serving the king. It was their primary responsibility to serve the wine to the royal table. And since kings were concerned about plots to poison them and to kill them, they had these cupbearers taste the wine before they would drink it. Say, here, dude, I want you to try this in case it's poisoned. And if it's poisoned, you you die, not me. (laughs) And so a cupbearer had to be trustworthy and loyal. But although the cupbearer had the king's confidence, you could see how their lives would be tossed away at a moment's notice. I mean, I don't think anybody was lining up to be like, yo, I want to be this guy. I, my, my, my career path in life is to be a cupbearer to the king so I could die for him. No, I don't think anybody's lining up for any of that. Their, their life could be tossed away at a moment's notice. They held the position, but there are many times where life was fleeting. In fact, if you go back to Genesis chapter 40, we read about the first cupbearers in Scripture. You can see this on the screen, Genesis 40, 1 through 3. It says, Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the, in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. So this is back in the beginning, back in Genesis. We read that the king was offended with these two guys, and he sent probably his top two servants to prison. (laughs) Have you ever been offended in life? Have you ever been offended? Have you ever been offended? Imagine if someone offends you, and you have the power to send them to prison. Maybe half our church wouldn't be here. (laughs) Come on. Oh, he sent him to prison. And a guy who made his food 
He trust, had to trust him. And the guy who tasted his drink, he had to trust him. And he turned around and said, you guys offend me. I'm throwing you in prison. This was not a glamorous life. And we can't forget what happened to these guys. If you were to continue to read, you would see the cupware was eventually restored to his position. But the chief baker, yeah, he was impaled. He was impaled on a pole and set outside for the birds to eat his flesh. It could have been easily the cupbearer. See, the cupbearer position is not a position of glory. It's a position of servanthood, and your life is fleeting. And if actually, if you continue to read through and you see how Joseph was there, and Joseph was called up and called into position beside the king. Why? Because the magicians... Other servants of the king offended him. They couldn't interpret his dreams. So he, he called Joseph up what God was working through Joseph. And so just like Joseph was pulled up out of the prison to serve the king and the Egyptians to save his people, God was using Nehemiah for the same reason. He had him in a position to do something amazing. He had him in the right place to step out in faith. Well, that's the same for you and I. That's the same for us as a church. When it comes to a revival, our personal revival, it takes you and me understanding that God has positioned us for a purpose. He has positioned us for a purpose. He has you there on purpose, right where he wants you to be for the greatest kingdom impact. But too many times we are unaware. Too many times we're not paying attention. He has given us the opportunity to influence those around us for the cause of Christ, but we fail to see it where we are as a divine placement. We look in the mirror and think, I'm just one person. What can I do? I'm just a coworker in a cubicle. What kind of kingdom influence can I have? I'm just a stay-at-home mom. What can God do through me? I'm just a student in my class. How can I make a Jesus difference? I'm just somebody who works in assembly line. What can God do through me? Well, all that noise around me. I am older. I've been there, done that in life. Why, how could God still use me? Why would God still use me? Friends, God has positioned you for a purpose. And when we renew our minds to this truth, renew our minds to this truth, instead of seeing that what we can't, that we can't do this, he wouldn't use me, we need to see where we're at as an opportunity. It's an opportunity for God to use, the opportunity that God is giving us to influence people for Christ. Break my heart for what breaks yours. There are people around every single one of you who do not have a relationship with Jesus. If they were to die today, they would be in hell forever. And that should break our hearts. And God has you right where he wants you to, as an opportunity to share Jesus, to be Jesus. So the people in my office, I have an opportunity to influence them for Jesus. 
the people in my class. I have the opportunity to share Jesus. The people in the assembly line, I have the opportunity to live Jesus, to be Jesus, to tell them about Jesus, and invite them to come to hear about Jesus. And I'm older. I still have the opportunity to influence the next generation for Jesus. If you were still here and you were still breathing, your job's not done. It's an opportunity for Jesus. And when we look at our lives, as God is giving us the opportunities, when we, we have positioned ourselves, okay, he has positioned me for a purpose. We start to understand that purpose is far greater than ourselves. And we renew our minds to that truth. Man, something starts igniting inside of us, fuming inside of us, passion inside of us, and it becomes infectious to all those around us. Friends, that's what happened in Asbury. That's what happened in Asbury. A group of students prayed that God would move on their campus. And when that simple service was over, they stayed and prayed. And people saw, hey, what are they doing? Well, they're praying. Well, why don't we join them? We should be praying too. And it grew, and it grew. They got on their knees in their position for a purpose, and it grew, and it grew, and they realized people want to be a part of it, so they're coming all over the place for a couple weeks, and it grew, and it grew, and it was really, really funny. Some mainline pastors, whatever the mainline pastors mean, or these you know, mega worship leaders were like, yo, we want to come and be a part of it. They're like, stay away. They're stay away. I read some article, stay away. We're not making this about titles and people. We're making it about Jesus. And it grew and it grew and it was absolutely amazing. Some of you went there and you experienced it. And it was infectious for your lives. And you came back, man, I'm just a little bit changed. God was there and I was praying. It was absolutely amazing. And you came back and like, God, I want God to work that way here. Well, he can. Through you, through you, through you, and through you, all of us. He can. He has positioned us a purpose for a purpose. If you want a revival... Stop looking around for God to start when it was someone else and surrender to the idea that God may be starting it in you. Someone say amen. It's good in chapter two. <clears throat> Chapter 2, verse 1, it says, In the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Xerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad, this is Nehemiah here, in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? 
this can only mean sadness of the heart. This, this I was very much afraid. Let me just stop there again. <clears throat> I was much afraid. Showing sadness before the king was, could be trouble for him. There's nothing from the sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? <clears throat> the king said to me, what is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. That must have been a really quick prayer, right? <laughs> oh, Jesus, help me in this. <clears throat> if it pleases the king and your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judea where my ancestors are buried so I may rebuild it. Let's just stop there again. <clears throat> if you ask me, this is absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy what he's doing before the king. Knowing, knowing what we know about cupbearers, knowing how expendable their lives are before the king, what Nehemiah did was absolutely crazy. The king could have killed him on the spot. He could have thrown him in prison. He could have destroyed him at that moment. But what burrowed inside of Nehemiah, what was on his heart, what broke his heart, was far greater than what the penalty could have been in front of him. And he stepped out in great faith. Well, that's the same for you and I. That's the same for us as a church in our own lives. And what God's wanting from us, we have positioned by him for a purpose. And it'll most likely tell us that we have to step out in great faith in order for revival to take place here. In rich, in you, say your name. In your name, say it. You have to step out in great faith. You want a revival. Understand that God is calling you to step out in great faith. Great faith. Faith is trusting in in God when it doesn't seem possible. Faith is moving forward not knowing the outcome. Faith is believing in the one who is sending you over the one who is condemning you. Faith is, faith is a mustard seed, right? Trusting in a mustard seed moment that will birth into a mountain-sized miracle. If we can figure it out, it's not faith. We believe, so we do. Friends, Nehemiah knew what it was going to cost him or could cost him, but he stepped out anyways. He, he thought about the risk versus reward, said a quick prayer before God, hey, make this figure out for my life. And he came to the conclusion that going to Jerusalem, rebuilding the walls, protecting his people is what God purposed in his heart to do, and he didn't care. He stepped out on faith anyways. Church, we say we are people of faith, but let me just ask you, when's the last time you stepped out in faith? 
When's the last time you stepped out of faith knowing what it could would cost you something? When was the last time your faith in Jesus being lived out loud in this world who needs him did it actually cost you something? Did it cost you anything? Right now I believe that God is calling some of you, many of you, many of us out on faith. But your fear has crippled you. Our natural instinct as human beings is to find comfort and security. So when God steps into our world and causes us to do something that doesn't make sense to others and maybe to us, but it's purposeful for him, we shrink back. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's too much. It's too big. We're afraid. When a fear does, man, it blinds us to the presence of God. The God I told you is always present everywhere, at every moment. I talked about this last week. He is right here, right now. He's with you when you're in the car. He's with you at home. That God, that massive, mighty majesty God, yeah, he is with you. And when we become so afraid, man, we put blinders on like he's not there. And so we're not stepping out in faith and doing what he's calling us to do because we are afraid. It blinds us to his power. Fear over faith does nothing for the kingdom. So I wonder right now, is God in your ear? What has God been calling you to that you're not willing to take that step? Is in your soul, like, oh, just God, I'm praying, will you just leave me alone? Many, many years ago, when God called me to ministry, I absolutely ignored him for a year because I was afraid. God, I'm a big old meatball, and you know that. What do you want me to do? <laughs> no. But every single time I pray, you say, Rich, I got something more. Every single time I got something more. I don't care if you got anything more. I got some. go do some dishes. He would not leave me alone. And finally he says, are you going to believe in me? Are you going to trust me? Where's your faith? It's time for you and I go do something together. And I believe that he does that for every single one of us. May not be calling the ministry, or maybe talk to your neighbor about Jesus. So what is God in your ear, your soul, that he's calling you out, but you are ignoring him? See, I believe that God is and will be calling us out as a church. That our mission as a church is to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. That is our mission, more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. And we will prosper where we're planted, man. We'll put our fingers in the soil right here, but he's also calling us to go out. He's calling us to go out to other 
communities, to launch other campuses, to reach more people with the message of hope. And when we do that, it's going to be a matter of great faith. Trusting what God is calling us to, not being afraid, but stepping out and saying, okay, we got, you got this. We're going to run with you. <laughs> and I absolutely love what happens next. Look at this, look at this, look at this. Verse 7. I also said to him, this is Nehemiah talking to the king. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates, and so they will provide me safe con- uh, conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, so he'll give me timber and make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and to the residence I will occupy. Let's stop there again. I, if I was the king, I'd be like, dude, you're overcooking my grits, okay? You're overcooking my grits. You are pushing this whole thing just a little too far. You're not only coming before me asking me to take a leave of absence, to go do what you want to do, your, your God's calling you to do, not what I want you to do, not what's going to save your life to do, but now you're asking more of me. You want me to provide for you, write letters for you, provide resources for you to go to a, another nation that I don't believe in, to a God I don't follow, and you're standing to me asking for all this, and you want me to provide for you? Don't you understand? It's got to go the other way. You provide for me, young man. Well, that was great faith. Not only to ask the king, yo, can I go take care of my people? All right, go ahead. How long is it going to take? But by the way, can you fund the expedition too? It wasn't itty bitty faith. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he's willing to step out anyways. Church, the Bible is filled with people who have stepped out in great faith. When you read your Bibles, church, read your Bibles. Don't take my word for it. Step into the word of God. Experience the word of truth for yourselves. And when you do, and you dig in and you read the Bible, you'll see over and over again, average people used by God, average people just like you and me, used by the Almighty to accomplish kingdom-sized tasks. Come on. Stop looking in the mirror and think that I'm not worth it. Stop looking in the mirror thinking that I'm not good enough. God's got a purpose for you, for his kingdom purposes. <clears throat> Let's pick on Peter for a moment. I love picking on that dude. He's just a normal guy with all sorts of flaws like you and I. And God used this guy to set the foundation of the church he preached one message and 3,000 people accepted Christ and were baptized. I'm a little bit jelly. But God used him. So picture this scene, picture this scene. He is standing in a boat. 
in the middle of a lake. They see what's coming on, what they think is a, go- a ghost, and they cry out with fear, like, ah, right? They're all afraid. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, it is me. And what does, Jesus, what does Peter do? He says, Jesus, if it's you, call me out. Call me out to you. Got to look at this. Look at this in Matthew 14. Look at this in Matthew 14, verses 28. He says, Lord, this is Peter's time. If it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. Then, and then, come on, this is where it explodes to God awesome, okay? Explodes to God awesome. Then Peter got down out of the boat, and he walked on water, and he came towards Jesus. I don't know about you, but I can't walk on water. Every time I step into a pool, I fall and I sink. There's no floating with this guy. Right to the bottom, right? I can't walk on water. But every time I read these verses, man, I get Jesus bumps. Every time I read these passages, I get filled with like burning passion. I get pumped. I get juice. I'm like, come on, Jesus. Come on. Yes, yes, Jesus, come on. Call him out. Call him out, Jesus. Don't let him him shrink in fear. He's your servant. Don't let him just sit there. Call him out to do what only you are capable of doing. What we look at as impossible is absolutely possible with God. Call him out, Jesus. Don't let your church sit here in fear and shrink back because of what the world is saying. Call us out. And then I look at it from Peter's perspective, what he's standing, what he believes. I'm like, yes, Peter. Come on, dude, step out. Get out of that boat. Walk on water with your God. Do what's absolutely impossible for you, but absolutely possible with Jesus. Break through miracle power. It'd be a miracle if I could walk on water. It was a miracle when Peter walked on water. Impossible for us as mere humans, but absolutely possible for a mighty God. Friends, we can't read these verses and think that it's just a great story. We can't just read these verses and say, okay, God, God, that was just, that was cool. No, no. When we read verses like this, when God is thinking about talking to us, we got to, okay, we need to see it from his perspective that God is revealing to you and I as his children what is possible with him. He's revealing something amazing can happen through you. Through you, through you, through you. If we just stepped out in faith, great faith. This is what's possible when we trust a living God. Living God, what he can accomplish in us and through us if we just simply get out of the boat. Church, 
it's time to get out of the boat. And let's just keep this real. Jesus is not just calling us to step on great faith. He's calling us to step out in what we believe. We believe in a God almighty, that he has the power to make it happen. It's not blind faith, it's complete faith. When we come before him and say, Jesus, if you truly are calling me out to do something that requires great faith, I will take the first step because I believe in you. I believe you have the power to do what you're calling me to do. Your church will never be defeated. You've called us to reach people with a message of hope. We're going to take great chances, big chances. We're going to take risks. Why? Because the gospel is worth it. Dying people are worth it. That's what we need to be doing as a church. enough about Peter. Let's get back to Nehemiah. You have to see how verse 8 ends in chapter 2. Look at this. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. <laughs> Come on! He stepped in front of the king and said, hey, dude, will you just let me go off for a while and do my thing? And by the way, will you fund my expedition? Will you, I'm on a mission trip. Can you just take care of that for me? Because the God's gracious hand was on Nehemiah for his purposes. He, king granted his requests. He didn't kill him. He didn't throw him in prison. He granted his requests. Could you imagine? <laughs> Could you imagine what the other servants were thinking at that time? This Nehemiah has gone and lost his mind. Because the gracious hand of God was on me. What I thought was a ridiculous ask or a ridiculous task, he made it possible. So what is God calling you to? What has God been in your ear, in your soul, calling you out to? What is the ridiculous ask? That God's got to show up. What are those things in your life that you don't see as opportunities, but God says it's right there? Where are those areas in your life you're afraid? You're afraid to fail. Everybody fails, friends. We can't be afraid to fail. What is it? Because we can talk about God's word all day long. But we need to understand as followers of Jesus, the revival starts in you. What did God do for you? So you could be with him for all eternity. I think it fails in comparison what he's asking us to do for him. Stepping out in great faith. 
is giving God the material for the miracle. It may not be some splashy event. It may not be something massive and big. It could simply be you leading someone to Jesus Christ. That's a miracle. Don't stop until you see it. What is it? If we want God to transform our community, if we want God to transform our county, our country, every single one of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus need to step out of the boat and step into our culture, our society with a ridiculous ask, a ridiculous task, and live it out with great faith. Knowing, trusting, believing that the gracious hand of God will be on you to get it done. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, I had, you're calling us out. And myself, maybe like many people in this room, man, we have a fear that needs to be crushed by your mighty hand. You have called us to do something that maybe we just don't understand yet. You've called us to live boldly with our faith with the people around us. You've called us to be intentional with our lives. So I pray we will do just that. God, as a church, we clap for idea of awakening. We clap for this idea of a revival. But it takes us letting you revive our lives for your purposes. So I pray for every single one of us in this room that you make it clear what it is that's stopping us. You make it clear what it is that's holding us back. Maybe it's unconfessed sin. Maybe we don't have it right with you. Maybe we don't have it right with a brother and sister. I don't know what it is, but you do. And I'm not going to assume everybody in this room, anybody who's listening online, has a relationship with you, Jesus. So maybe your radical act of faith this morning, the great step of faith, is to come and surrender your life to the king.
Everything I talked about this morning, everything that was read from Scripture is useless without Jesus in your life. So maybe your big step this morning, maybe God's been, won't leave you alone. Because he wants to have that relationship with you. So right now I'm going to call our prayer team forward. And I don't know what's holding you up. I don't know what your hang up is. I know where you're falling short. You don't think that you're enough. I don't know what, what the Satan and his minions are whispering in your ears. I don't know why he's at your table. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I do know power of prayer. Maybe, maybe it's more than just, just stay. I'm going to step out in faith. Maybe it's coming up at, after service and being prayed with and prayed over and give some things back to God. Maybe it's maybe making right with him. Maybe it's coming to him and surrendering your life to him. I don't know. But God does. Jesus does. And he says, come to me, you are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest, rest for your souls. So come to be prayed over. Come to be prayed with. And let the king of kings change your life forever. God, we love you. We worship you. We serve you. This is your church, your house, your people. May we go and do your work. We love you. We worship you. In your son's name, amen. God bless church. Have an amazing week.